Good morning. Hope you guys are safe and well. My desk keeps getting busier and busier and uh, don't even have time to clean it up. So excuse the mess. <laughs> and we're gonna wait a few seconds for you guys to hop on and get this week's session started. I don't know about Apple. Every time I upgrade my software, my charger doesn't work. I think they make more money on the chargers than the phone itself. Um, all right. Good morning. We got Robin, and I'm still seeing a lot of Facebook users, but good morning to you guys all. And uh, we got Logan here today as well. Good morning, everyone. So for all of our new members hopping in and then those who need a refresher, um, we use StreamYard to stream these lives. And in order for us to see your names, just click the StreamYard link at the top in the description of this call. And uh, you'll click two buttons to log your name so we can see you on our end. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, do, do you have the names of all the new members? So Absolutely. We so um, we have some members of the group that we want to shout out and welcome. And uh, guys, if you haven't already, go ahead and, and post in the group introducing yourself, who you are, your experience, and what you're looking to accomplish here um, so we can all get connected. So we have uh, Joseph Martin in the group. Welcome. welcome. Freddie uh, Chipras, Eileen Flores, Artem. We have Carl Pomerantz and his girlfriend, Emily, um, Idan, Ron, Carlos, and Ed. Wow. <laughs> well, welcome. welcome. Welcome to the group. Everyone. Welcome to the club. Um, hope you guys get a lot of use out of this program. Uh, my favorite is every Tuesday, the live calls with you guys and answering your questions as best as I can. And we do have the property previews once a month. That's another favorite uh, of mine. But anyhow, anyhow with that said, uh, let's get the session started. We got great questions for today. And let's see, Rob, uh, Logan, do you want to read them off to me or? If your throat's a little right. itchy, I'll yeah. just read it. My, my voice is working again for the most part, so <laughs> I can read them off today. Um, our first question is going to be from David. He said, clearly we are having inflation and maybe mm -hmm. similar to the 1970s. In the 1970s inflation period, house prices continue to go up even as interest rates rose. What do you see happening now in the next one to three years with the single family market and also multifamily, mm -hmm. which is on fire and selling at very low cap rates? Yeah, I think this time around, you know, it's not going to be the 70s. Um, the real price hike in single family home was as a result of, you know, inventory imbalance. And it, same with a lot of the other products, cars, watches, and everything else. And on top of that, people got a lot of free money. And so the disposable income went up way up. Um, you know, some families got six, 7,000 a month, you know, supplemental income, um, you know, all the stimulus checks. And so the, there was a perfect storm for price hikes across the board, single family, you know, you know, it's tapering off. Um, you guys saw Zellos has 7,000 homes. They're going to unload at a loss. Um, I think that game is over with you know, single family going up 20% a year uh, as it did in 2020 and um, part of 2021. Um, I don't see inflation hitting 1970s. I think it's gonna be temporary, but it may continue to go up till 2023.
they just passed another one point, I think it was 1.6 or 1.7 uh, trillion dollar stimulus. Um, that again is going to be another shot in the arm. But I don't see that the you know what the seventies uh, inflation was. Um, so I'm not that worried. All right. Next questions from Watchtech. Uh, good to see you, Watchtech. He said, "I'm looking at a multi-tenant office building in Chicago area for thirty-two dollars price per foot. Um, it has forty-five spaces ranging from two hundred square feet to eight hundred square feet, and wanted to get your thoughts on an office building like that." Well, that's going to be tough to lease. Uh, you have basically like a, a apartment complex, but it's an office. The problem with these buildings, and I used to own a lot of them, um, are you have a bunch of a small mom and pop tenants. They don't want to sign a long-term lease. Typically, it's a one-year lease. You have a very high turnover because of that, right? Because you don't have long-term leases. So your rollover and turnover is high. And also... It's management intensive. So when you want to sell it, you're going to have to sell it at a little bit higher cap rate. Um, I don't like it unless uh, unless the market can absorb, um, you know, that type of an asset in that specific area. So if there is other similar buildings, 80, 90% occupied uh, that have a lot of small footprint tenants, and this is mismanaged grossly and it's bank owned or you're buying it 50 cents on a dollar, on those, under those special circumstances, I would consider it. But otherwise, it's going to be a, a very encumbersome on your time, management, leasing, and then you don't get the big pop on the resale because of everything I mentioned. All right. So next question from Reza. Um, he said, he's struggling to find a good value at deal at the moment. Mm -hmm. So in the meanwhile, do you recommend buying a stabilized property such as a single tenant with a national tenant or a small strip mall to park money and hedge against inflation. Mm. For instance, a property with five to 10 years national tenant and cap rate of 7% and good financing might be a better deal than investing in an index fund or with the money manager. In addition, real estate brings some tax benefits too. I understand there's not much upside in stabilized property, but it's steady and possibly better than the stock market, knowing that the market may crash. Wow, that's a really good... Uh question and i definitely agree if you have uh, an option of buying a small strip center or a single tenant um depends who's a single tenant if you can get it at a seven cap and there is you know your uh, lease has at least eight years remaining uh and the price per foot is not ridiculous like 500 bucks a foot like some of these single tenant you know starbucks are selling for then i would prefer the single tenant is no risk there is also no upside but at 7%, you can definitely get sub 4% financing if the credit tenant is a strong and you can easily achieve low double digit cash on cash. Um, and in eight years times 12%, you get 96% return. So you get almost all your money back. Plus you get to depreciate the hell out of it. So yes, makes sense. Um, but if it's a six cap, and there's four years left on the single tenant and you're paying 550 bucks a foot, absolutely go with a smaller strip center where there is some value add, where you could put the lipstick on and get credit for it on the, on the flip side. All right. Uh, then we have Edward. Edward started his first question with, how do you find out mm -hmm. what the market value is for a certain property or what is 
mm-hmm. what it pre- previously sold for and when. Well, easy comps. Um, you go by comps, what's sold in the past 18 months um, and what's on the market for a similar product. Um, take the average price per foot for similar construction, similar asset class that's on the market. And then also a lot of times when you do pull up those listings, offering memorandum, there is comps in there. The listing brokers typically provide you two comps, comps for leasing and comps for sale. And that's free, free information. So just register with the listing broker on a property that's similar to that, that's for sale. Download the OM offering memorandum and look at the comps for sale and also what's for lease. That gives you a pretty good indication. You should get an, a pretty good idea what that property is worth after you do that homework. But uh, that's the, uh, you know, it's a free comp to get. Otherwise, you can go ahead and get comps from Coldstar. They charge you. Or LoopNet. You can get uh, pull up comps for that asset class for that zip code or submarket. All right. And then Edward's second question. Mm-hmm. What happens if you cash out refinance and the market goes down? You just have to be able to weather the storm. <laughs> so these are the risks uh, you have to evaluate. Um, evaluate yourself as a borrower, your lifestyle, your expenses, your reserves, and the asset, and assess your tenants in the property, right? And if you feel confident these tenants are strong and you're not going to, if you lose a few small tenants, you're not going to file bankruptcy, then worst case scenario, you weather the storm, your whole period goes from one to two years to maybe five to seven years, but you have to be able to weather the storm. That's when most people get caught up and lose the property to the bank. All right. And then uh, last question from Edward. When looking at a commercial property, how do you envision what potential future tenants will fill the space? Well, I like to kind of take the guidance from the active leasing broker for that asset class in that soft market. Um, I don't like to guess. I buy a lot of properties out of state. Obviously, I don't know what tenants looking in that sub market out of a state for that type of property, but the brokers do because the brokers are in the uh, network with the tenant reps. They have constant communication. When a tenant rep has a meeting with their tenant, with their client, Google, Netflix, whoever it may be, Exxon Mobil, and they uh, go ahead and let them know what the requirements are for the next quarter, for the next 12 months, that broker, the tenant rep will be reaching out to brokers in their network that rep the landlords. So you always want to go to the broker and get guidance from the leasing broker. Say, hey, here's a property I'm buying. I want to give the leasing to you. Uh, What can you do here? What can I expect? Who's going to be my tenant? Um, How much I have to put in TIs? How much I have to give for rent abatement? And uh, what kind of rent I can expect? So you go with the broker's guidance. All right. Uh, our next question is from Pal. He said, "Are we in an? Mm-hmm. Are we in a recession, or how far are we?" Man, everybody asked me that question. Um, well, this was the sh- probably shortest recession in history. Um, February, March, the GDP dropped. Now, the definition is, uh, of recession is two quarters of contraction on GDP gross domestic product and we had a 30% plus drop in February and March but obviously with 
uh, $6 trillion printing and 150 base point drop in the rates. Um, you know, they quickly turned this thing around and handed everybody money and the GDP, uh, you know, accelerated. But in my, you know, if you ask the economists, they're going to say we're not in a recession because the GDP is growing. Uh, it's not contracting anymore. But in my view, this is a artificial prop in the economy by the feds, 10 trillion plus of money printing. Um, as you can see, the price of you know hand watches, exotic cars, even regular used cars, even everything's gone up because people have money. There is more buyers than sellers. Um, that through an imbalance in the supply demand, in my opinion, this recession is uh, no longer existing because of the uh, stimulus. But once that stimulus stops, uh, things will go back to normal, which would be a very, very slow economy. Um, and the question is, when are we going to get back to pre-pandemic levels? And from there, which would be the recovery from there and expand. I really don't see the expansion. And what you see in the economy right now is fake. But we are not technically in a recession because of everything I said. But um, I feel this is all artificial and fake. And once you know the uh, the uh, punch bowl is taken away, uh, you will see a lot of defaults and uh, bankruptcies. If that makes any sense. <laughs> all right. Uh, next question from Mazi said, "What is your input on the market and where it's going now?" Mazi, that's a good name. My brother's name is Mazi. Um, well, definitely, I just, I don't want to repeat myself all over again. The economy is being propped up by a stimulus, low interest rates, and the low interest rates are even fake because the Fed's buying billions and billions of dollars a month in bonds, treasuries, to keep the treasury rates down, which is the index that all mortgages are tied to. Um, bottom line, 2023 is when I'm anticipating, uh, you know, the market normalizing in by normalizing mean you know uh, having another recession because uh, everything you saw uh, on the on you know in the prices of homes asset classes uh, is artificial and i expect us to have another downturn the real downturn 2023 2024 maybe even sooner depends on the fed again everything was done by the fed so the fed is in control all right. And the next question, this has been headline news. Um, what are your thoughts about Zillow's recent action? Wow. Well, I never understood why they went from, you know, the formula that was working for them to buying actual assets, real estate. Uh, that's basically timing the market to go in at top of the market and buy 7,000 homes and speculating that it's going to keep going another 20%. I didn't quite understand that, that seem to be, uh, you know, a failing, you know, proposition if, if I was sitting as a CEO of Zellos. Uh, but uh, I think that will definitely uh, cause, uh, you know, some shake shakedown in the single family arena. And there is already some venture funds out there bidding on these 7,000 homes. But uh, psychology, you know, uh, you know, I would think Everyone out there that's thinking about putting money in a single family home, reading the headline that they bought 7,000 homes and they're going to lose money. I think that's going to put a lot of people on the fence about buying. Uh, 
but yeah, uh, I don't know what the CEO was uh, smoking, <laughs> taking that type of direction on the on Zellos. All right, next question from Chris: How long do you wait, or mm -hmm. what signs do you look for to do a cash out refinance of a property after purchasing? Yeah, typically you want to wait a year. Uh, that's when you get credit for the new value. Most lenders will not use the new appraised value unless you the property has been seasoned for 12 months. Uh, it's kind of a standard, typical. But uh, how long do I wait? Well, even if it's been a year since I owned it, but I haven't finished adding my value, I'm not going to do a cash out refi because I want to max out my cash out, right? So if I have a restaurant that's going to sign up and uh, I'm still negotiating, well, that's not a time to do cash out refinance. If I have an office tenant that it still has 50% vacancy, it's not time to refi. So it's a function of, you know, uh, when are you going to reach your maximum potential value add on the property? Awesome. And the next question from Chris, as a beginner, what industry type or asset type should we focus on for our first property? Retail, mm -hmm. medical, hospitality, et cetera. Oh my God, the retail, a small retail center. Uh, that's what I started with. In late 90s, I bought a small retail center in Whittier, California. And these are called um, neighborhood centers. They're your dry cleaners, your 7-Elevens, uh, coin laundry, your dentist, chiropractor of the world. You know, five to six unit, a small neighborhood center. Those are super easy to manage. They're recession proof. And typically... They're owned multiple years by the same owner, so they could use some lipstick. And uh, usually owners get tired, they stop milking the property. Sometimes the rents, uh, leases are month to month because the owner has owned it for many years and just kind of let it go. Uh, those are prime candidates for you to start investing and adding value and have, you know, uh, you know calculated risk on your investment. All right. Uh, next question from Yusuf. Uh, it's a little bit longer. One, you said I purchased the Siegel family home for 1.3 yep. million with a 400k down payment in early 2021. Put 75,000 in the renovations and mm -hmm. can sell for 1.65 million. Uh, comp without renovations on the same street sold for 1.5 last week. I also wow. own an apartment in downtown, which hasn't gone up in value since I bought it at the peak in 2018. I initially wanted to renovate and flip the single family home. But with rate increases coming and stricter lending rules, I'm worried I won't be able to buy a home once I sell this one. Lending mm -hmm. here in Canada is pretty tough, especially on more than one property. Would you recommend selling the apartment at break even or selling the home, netting 150K and hoping to qualify for other deals? I don't mm -hmm. own my home either and live with my parents. So that's why I wanted to keep it and renovate a second property and sell. To do that, I would have to sell the apartment at break even and put in some money to buy a second house. Wow, that's a tough situation because it's Canada. I don't know the market there. Um, I'm, you know, I'm guessing all downtown properties suffered significantly for the from the pandemic because you know downtown is high density vertical office buildings, which got halted and shut down, and as a result, you know, uh, people moved out to suburbs. Uh, but I think that's going to come back. Um, you know, if you're asking me to sell something after you own it for three years, a break even in downtown, or 
a property that you can make 250,000, I think it's 150, but uh, you bought it for one three, you said for 1.65, that's 350. You put in, I think 75,000. Mm -hmm. Okay, so figure with your commission, one. yeah, you should be able, able to make 200 to 250 on that house. Uh, I would sell the house because uh, I'm sure you have a mortgage on it and you could live with your parents. Uh, uh, you are living with your parents. So why have a mortgage uh, on a substantial mortgage payment, property tax, and the risk uh, still is there for market to flip and then lose money on this house uh, versus making money? So I would, I, would, I would put my money on profit, taking profit on the house and hang in there with your downtown property because I think it's going to come back. All right. Uh, next question from Zaran. Can you let us know what you think about the crowdfunding commercial projects out there? Mm -hmm. Like through Fundrise, they guarantee an 8 to 10% cash flow return per year for three to five years on your money, plus mm -hmm. any appreciation at the end when they sell or refinance for a total of average between 15 to 17% returns. I don't know nothing about them. I've heard of them. There is a lot of pros and, well, I would say there is more cons than pros on co-investment platforms like crowdfunding uh, platforms such as you know fundraise the biggest issue for me is the guarantee i don't know who could guarantee eight to ten percent unless you're doing raising money on the debt side as a note um as a lender on a property but there's a couple of issues with that uh one uh well first of all let's talk about the pros the pros are yeah you know you don't need two hundred thousand bucks to go in there i'm sure with 25 50 grand you could start co-investing with you know others on that platform so that's basically affordable right most people can take a piece of the action unless they have 250 300,000 bucks uh, to buy a small retail center or a building so that's one uh, other pro is you don't have to get qualified for a loan right uh, that's the second pro uh, what what I don't like about is there is a lot of cons uh, first con is it, it's not liquid uh, you buy it, you're going to be held on the plan they have on, you know, whatever plan they have on, on the regular uh, policies. In, if it's three year, five year, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a hold, uh, property on hold that you can't really get your money out. Um, as far as I know, again, I haven't checked fundraise or other platforms, but uh, liquidity is a big part, right? Because if the market's going up and you buy a property, even with $200,000 down, and have the seller carry the note on a small building and you put the lipstick on and the market's hot, super hot. And three months later, you put on LoopNet for 200,000 more, doubling your money. You have that option. But with this platform, you're stuck. Number two, uh, you don't get the tax write-off. As far as I know, if you're buying this, is like buying stocks, it's a REIT. Uh, so you don't get to take bonus depreciation and all the other stuff you can take on amortization and depreciation on it. And number three, you have no control. Um, if the company does mismanage um, and overpromise and underdeliver, and they have lawsuits, class action, well, you're going to sink with the ship. <laughs> so those are the the major cons for me. But to be frank, I don't know about them, so I can't really uh, vouch for their credibility or their performance. Um, so that's my input on it. All right. Our next question from Robin. Um, he said, while I see office vacancies increasing, 
or mm-hmm. prices coming down compared to their recent history, could we see a situation where inflation sustains the price, but during the next swing, those office buildings increase even further? Uh, so increase further, meaning what? Well, property office building is in depression um, and it's not going to recover for probably another three years, maybe five, depending on which submarket. Uh, what's his question? So if he's wondering can... if inflation is going to sustain the prices that the offices are at now, and they're only mm-hmm. going to go up um, on the next week because of inflation sustaining the price. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, depends. <laughs> you know, you look at the high rises in some uh, submarkets, even with inflation, um, the price of uh, office rent is not going to go up because inflation is going up because there is 4 million square feet of sublease space uh, listed at 30% discount. So until all that sublease space is absorbed and you're uh, competing with regular uh, vacant office buildings, I don't see inflation kind of spiking the value of office buildings. All right. And then uh, a man, Ali, commented, good morning. Some national brands like Starbucks or Walgreens want the landlord to build the building for them, although it's a ground lease. Mm-hmm. They pay higher rent than the normal ground lease rent to account for the construction cost. Mm-hmm. Have you had any experience with these situations? No. So those are called build to suit. Uh, there's a lot of landlords, REITs, that they specialize on that. Uh, they work with you know public company chains, and they know their uh footprint, their requirement, and just do build to suit, uh, put it on a ground lease for a 50 year, 40 year. I haven't had the, uh, you know, I haven't had any experience doing that because that's development. I've never done developments, but it's definitely very lucrative. Um, if you know, you got the right, uh, you know, uh, partner to build it for you. If you outsource it, that's when you get caught. And especially now with the price of lumber is still so volatile um, a lot of these uh, builders are putting a lot of clauses in there that they can you know back out from a bit or you know uh, pass that surcharge to you at any time so it's it's you know development is very uh tedious and complicated i've never done it so i can't really try but it is a great concept and a strategy um to buy and do build to suit because your risk is almost none. You ink everything before you even, you know, uh, you know, put the shovel in the ground. So <laughs> it's it's pretty uh, great a strategy. All right. Um, and then Khalid, we see your comment and appreciate your feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll make sure to review that after the call and, and get back to you in response there. But we want to keep these call times to real estate related questions. Um, so we'll hop over to the next comment from George. He said, my question is, uh, my question is, which is your favorite asset class to buy? And please explain why it's better than multifamily to you. Also, question number two, what is your favorite exit strategy and why? For example, do you prefer cash out, cash flow or cash out refi for flipping? All of the above. <laughs> well, office class is my favorite uh, because it's one that easily gets mismanaged. Um People that buy office buildings, specifically high rises, if they're beginners, like the building 333, I bought and sold twice, and I'm gonna buy it for a third time. Um, you know, the you know, the first time buyers come in, they see this high rise, it's great, 
They start putting a lot of money into it. They increase their expenses and they think they're going to attract, you know, more rent. And what happens is uh, they don't. And then because they paid so much for it and they have high, uh, you know, debt on the property and they have high rental rate, they're trying to achieve, they lose out on a lot of lease deals and then recession hits. They're the ones, uh, their cost basis is too high in the building. They lender typically has clauses in their note that they got to stay within these minimum rental rates, TIs, they put them in a box, right? And they can't perform. And then five years later, it becomes bank owned distressed. And I'll go in there, buy it. My cost base is low and I'll reduce the expenses back to what it was and reduce my rental rates. And then within three to five years, I'll stabilize it to 80, 85%. So this is like a continuous cycle that I've seen. It's very hard to do that with retail. Retail properties have longer term leases and higher credit tenants, and they have more vested interest in the property. So you don't see that big recycling happening with the rent roll and the property. So for that reason, I like the office because there's a lot of arbitrage, a lot of manipulation and a lot of control that you can have on the asset performance. All right. And then uh, we'll get to our last question for the day for the rest of the questions that we have. We'll make sure to get those answered inside of the comments after the call. Um, so the last question is from Yusuf. Said slightly mm -hmm. off topic, but would it be a dumb idea to use a hundred k, one hundred k line of credit against a property to put towards my dream car of a 2015 Huracan? I did well as a realtor last couple of years mm -hmm. and bought a few investment properties, but felt guilty splurging since I've been driving a, a Corolla for the past three years. Oh. <laughs> Hey, there's no uh, problem with you rewarding yourself along the way as you climb the mountain of success. But my question would be, uh, and it was Alex, right? Uh, Yusuf. Yusuf. Yusuf, my question would be how much that $100,000 liability you're going to add is of your net worth? So, I mean, if you have a million dollar plus net worth, you know, adding 10% liability to buy a Huracan, which I'm sure you're going to grind it seller on it and get a good deal. Um, I don't have a problem with that. Um, uh, if your net worth's a million plus, but if your net worth is 300,000 and you're going to take a hundred thousand out against your, you know, equity, um, I, I would think it's premature. I would wait. Rule of thumb. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this was great questions, guys. Uh, keep up the good work and welcome to all the new members. I'll get to the questions we didn't get to after the call and uh, be safe, be well, and see